Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. It's our every other week opportunity to talk about what matters to you, whether your project is a multi-year, multi-million dollar venture or a short-term undertaking with a small budget. We want to give you some principles that will work for you wherever you find yourself on the spectrum. And we do that by talking to people who, like you, find themselves taking the lead on projects big and small. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are a couple of guys who are always thinking big, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. Andy, today we're going to get an insider's view on a project that has already made a mark on America's pastime. We're talking baseball. Yeah, it's this is an interesting one for me, Nick. It's always uh, interesting to see get insight into a project that's different than anything I've ever managed. And so uh, I'm thankful to have our guest, Chris Britton, today. And uh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. Well, let's meet him. Chris Britton is division manager at Brassfield and Gorey, one of the largest privately held construction firms in the nation. The company has built its reputation on a variety of types of projects, from commercial to educational, aerospace to governmental. It's a company that prides itself on giving back to the community. Among the projects they've been involved in are the Georgia Aquarium, Dolphin Expansion and Sea Lion Exhibit, the College Football Hall of Fame and Chick-fil-A Fan Experience, and the Emory Sports Medicine Complex. One of its most recent projects was the two-and-a-half-year-long construction of the new home for the Atlanta Braves baseball team, SunTrust Park. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you here on Matt Is This. It's great to be here. Well, let me run through a few statistics on SunTrust Park, okay? I'm sure you're familiar with all these. Over 1 million square feet, 41,500 seats, 4,000 club seats, 32 premium suites totaling 144,000 square feet, three club lounges, four seating decks with 90-foot overhangs, 10 escalators, 14 elevators, and that's not the half of it. This was, in many observers' eyes, at least a five-year project, maybe more. It was finished in 29 months. Correct. How did that happen? Um, it happens in 29 months with a lot of planning, right? So um, early on in the process, uh, Mike Plant, the Atlanta Braves, they hired Populous as the architect. The Populous has a number of consultants that are part of their, their project mm. team. Uh, we were brought on board as the construction manager, and we're actually, it wasn't just Brassfield and Gorey. We formed a four-way joint venture, which was American Builders 2017, hmm. which is Brassfield and Gorey, Mortensen, Barton Mallow, and New South. We brought four different companies together to be able to build the job. Hmm. We got involved early on in the design process. I want to I ask you there, um, you brought four companies together, but what was your company's role? What was Brassfield and Gorey's role uh, in in managing or working with those other companies, yeah, we were the managing partner, so we were in charge of the joint venture. That's mm. a, I guess that's a fun place to be. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of the model of one head to pat and one butt to kick. So you were <laughs> you, you were the one head and and the, and the other end of the equation as well. That's mm. right. That's right. Um, so uh, so anyway, back to the question. Um, so we, we got involved early on in the design process of, 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 the, of, the, of the project. And uh, Populous, they actually had a, a pretty big challenge ahead of them because they had a very short period of time to be able to design the project. Mm. And as soon as they started putting those conceptual designs together, we had to start putting costs together on it. Um, and as those drawings went from conceptual all the way up through CDs, which 
really never happened until we were almost done with the job. Mm-hmm. Um, we were constantly providing feedback to the owner on this is what it costs. This is how we're going to have to build it. Here's the schedule. This is when we need to start. Uh, so all that stuff was done early on in the process. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Mike Plant. We, we, we had him from the Atlanta Braves on an earlier podcast. And one of the things he told us, he says, he says this project was tougher than he thought it would be. Uh, w- would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Uh, well, construction's not an easy industry to work in. Um, you know, the, the public, the uneducated public may go and think that you just go out there and it's just a matter of assemble a bunch of blocks. Uh, <laughs> but it's not an exact science. There are issues that you run into. There are challenges. There are problems. There are, uh, there are a number of challenges that you have to overcome when you go through the construction process. And when you're trying to do it in, in a time frame, you know, from, from what I've heard and understand what Mike has explained is the time frame from the start of design to the completion of the construction was one of the fastest that this thing's ever been done. Right. Um, and and when, you, when you do something that fast, you're going to run into challenges that you just need to overcome throughout the process. Hmm. I think of uh, what I saw as I was just commuting back and forth and, and seeing the construction take place. And I think of all the cranes. You know, first of all, I thought, okay, where'd all these come from? These cranes are <laughs> massive. And I'm seeing like a dozen of them at one time. And now I'm hearing you explain this was really a group of four different companies that are that are together. There's so much coordination that had to take place, both physically in terms of things like, you know, okay, where do we put materials? Where do we stage things? What happens in what order? And, and these cranes. But then you've got to communicate not just with your team, your organization, but you've got these others as well. Yes. So um, uh, I'm going to hit that in two points, right? So when we first established the the joint venture, and, and we established joint venture just to chase the project, so mm. we chased it as American Builders 2017. Uh, when we assembled our team, we put the people from each one of the organizations together, and we put them in the spot where they would be the most successful. So mm-hmm. we didn't take and say the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing piece is going to be run by one company, and the structure, the concrete, and the steel is going to be done by another company. What we did is we took the people from each one of the organizations and just kind of peppered them throughout our organizational chart and then put the people in charge of those different elements where it made sense. And that allowed mm-hmm. everybody to be able to become the most effective in constructing the job and uh, and be successful. It also broke down walls. Yeah. So there weren't any silos that existed with the company. And, and Mark Granger, uh, who was our operations director on the job, was probably the biggest proponent of this. When, when he went into a meeting and people asked him, say, who do you work for? He didn't say Brassfield and Gore. He said, I work for American Builders 2017. Oh, wow. And we set that persona right at the beginning mm. of the job. Mm. So it wasn't it wasn't just Brassfield and Gore out there doing the job. It was our yeah. entire team, which was American Builders so 2017. So how did you, and I imagine you probably had some brilliant strategy for team building, like you all got baseball caps or shirts <laughs> that said, you know, American Builders 2017, or we're in this together. What, how did you get practically? What did you guys do to come together? Yeah, so um, so it was it was it was difficult at first, right? We've got four mm. different companies. You know, Mortensons out in the Midwest. They're out in, in Minneapolis, uh, New mm. South, a lot like us. They're right here in the South. You know, Bart Mallow is based out of um, Michigan. So you've got a lot of different people coming together, a lot of different cultures. Yeah, right. Um, so we had a, several team building exercises. We we'd go out to lunch. Uh, the Braves were nice enough to allow us to use their logo. So okay. a Christmas present was a big um, Arctic mug, you know, that had the American Builders logo on one side and the, the Atlanta Braves A on nice. the other side. You know, we do safety lunches. We had evening uh, events. We had um, Sarah. She uh, she was like the organizer of the uh, the Thursday night event. So about once a month, we'd go out to a, 
a restaurant or, or something along those lines. Everybody go out to eat, kind of hang mm-hmm. out together. Not everybody could make it. We had a pretty good sized team, mm-hmm. but it allowed that interaction and people to establish deeper relationships with one another, not just, um, not just seeing each other at work. You actually right. get to know the person as a person. Even went to a football game, um, together, a college football game together. Oh, very cool. Now, <laughs> yeah. did I read right? Are you a Florida Gator? I am. And so how did that, you? And we go... lost that game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tennessee came back and beat us. So, uh, okay. but it was just, fun. Just wanted to bring up a painful memory. And <laughs> yeah. I could do that for There's you. There's a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a basic question here. Uh, you know, how do you build a stadium? I mean, what, where, do, where do you start? So, mm-hmm. so. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, meshing the design with the construction, right? Those things kind of mm-hmm. kind of went hand in hand. So during the design process, you actually start from a pre-construction element, figuring the job out, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and 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 it's just whether it's a it's a five hundred million dollar ballpark, three hundred fifty million dollar aquarium, or even just a four million dollar office building, uh, it's all parts and pieces. So you break mm-hmm. it down to the simplest level that you can, and you do your quantity takeoff. Right, and then you assemble costs associated with it. And you're talking more more about raw materials at this point. Correct, correct, correct. Mm-hmm. correct. So everything is just based on quantity, and then you get your subcontractors plugged in and involved. And then, like I, I said earlier, you go and you plan the job. Right, mm-hmm. so you plan the job, you build it on paper before you actually get out there and start assembling. And then when you get to actually put the shovel in the ground, that's when you start to execute your plan. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're we're talking about. Uh, a situation where where you're you're thinking about so many different parts to this, and you're thinking about people, you're thinking about fans, and and, and what they're going to see. You, what do you have to think like? Do you have to think like a baseball player? Do you have to think like a fan? Do you have to? <laughs> what do you have to think like? Um, you you do in some sense. Uh, usually that piece is what dra- gives you the motivation. You know, I've, I've grown up a Braves fan, so I've mm. been a, I've, I've been a Braves fan all my life. Growing up in South Florida and watching the spring training down in West Palm Beach, so you have that kind of drive that pushes you. But when you think about it, um, of, of building the project, you're literally thinking at it from a construction mindset. So you're thinking in the terms of concrete and steel. Not necessarily what the fan experience is going to be. That's what the architect does. Mm-hmm. Now, as we go through the process and and are putting together our, and putting together our plan on paper, you start to notice things that may impact that. Mm-hmm. Right, the handrail locations may impact uh, vision. You know, from being mm-hmm. able to see from your seats. Uh, so there are things that do come about from that standpoint. Um, one particular piece that did happen was um, uh, early on in the process. The Braves had uh, what they called Iron Mike. It was their pitching machine hmm. that they wanted down on the bottom level. And I don't know if you guys have ever been through a tour of SunTrust Park, but down on the field level, you've got a full batting tunnels. There's pitching tunnels. You've got right. the Braves. Can you can watch practice. the players warm up. You can watch yeah. the players warm up. That's exactly right. If you're if you're in the in the Delta Club and SunTrust Club, you can actually watch the players practice before the game. Um, but that piece of equipment needed to get into the facility, and it needed to be designed in a fashion so that it could physically get there after it was built. Mm-hmm. Well, there were some changes that had to be made on the fly during the process saying, hey, look, they got to get Iron Mike down there into those pitching tunnels. What do we need to do with the structure in order to get it there? And so there were some modifications that had to be made on the fly mm-hmm. in order to do that. Chris, I got a question for you. You know, as you as you look at any project, one of the really important components is uh, communicating, communicating with your, with your partners, with your stakeholders, um, with your clients. 
tell me, tell me a little bit about your strategy when it came to communication on this project. Uh, what kind of communication do you do you favor? Um, any particular philosophy that drives you? You're exactly right. Communication is absolutely paramount on any construction project. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with a smaller, whether it's a smaller job or a large job, it just gets embellished on the, the bigger mm-hmm. the project right. is. So, um, so communication, and that was pretty much my job as the project director is I was kind of the main communicator, the main liaison with the owners and the owner's rep, which was the Braves and, and JLL as the owner's rep. That was, that was what I, my sole purpose really was to do was to make sure that the communication was going back and forth. And we had, our weeks were packed with meetings mm. uh, to facilitate that communication. Yeah. And how did you figure out um, what communication method or type was going to work best with those those key stakeholders i remember for instance i remember mike plant talking about being a an email machine he sounds like he he likes email but how do you how do you figure out early on okay here's some of my key stakeholders what what do you prefer so um we had so we had a process set in place um on on Mondays we had our staff meetings, so that was our internal meetings that we had amongst gotcha. our team, right? Yep. So and that was where we went through all of our issues. We had a big action item log that we tracked everything. On Tuesdays uh, we had our safety and our subcontractor meetings. So they started the morning off with a big group wide um, entire job site safety meeting, and then that rolled right into meeting with all the subcontractors and taking the information from our staff meeting and running it through the subcontractors mm. and revising the schedule. Um, on Wednesdays was primarily the day that we reserved for communicating with the architect and the owner. So we have our what we called our OAC, our owner, architect, contractors meetings. And we would hit all of those topics that we needed to get elevated to the architect, whether it's RFIs, submittals, whatever mm-hmm. those processes are, the challenges that we're facing on the job with the owner, and hit all those issues on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And that left Thursday and Friday for us to actually start planning for the very next week. And then all that information <laughs> from those meetings gets disseminated out to all the parties that are involved on the project. So that Wednesday meeting, what did that look like? Was that a face-to-face meeting with a bunch of people in a room? It was a face-to-face meeting. We actually met right across the street where yeah. the Braves had their preview center set right. up. Um, where there's a large conference room in there. And so we would mm-hmm. go in. We, we as the contractor, American Builders, uh, JLL, the owner's rep, uh, the architect, oftentimes the architect's consultants. And, and keep in mind, we, we had that meeting. Then we had one that immediately followed that dealt with the rest of the construction mm-hmm. that was taking place in the battery. Yep. Um, beyond that owner's architects meeting, uh, we had executive meetings that were set up once a month where we met directly with Mike Plant. Uh, that wasn't to say that Mike or one of his guys wouldn't sit in the owner's meetings because that did happen from time to time, but this was a smaller crowd. It was Mm -hmm. just us, JLL, um, Mike and the architect. And then that's where we we would talk about the big issues or the big discussions. And you get to be in all of these meetings, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, well, I'll tell you this, um, the owner's (laughs) meetings, absolutely not all the subcontractors meetings. So so Mark, the operations director, he kind of, he kind of ran that piece. So, you know, I, I'm the lucky guy that gets to sit here and talk into a microphone with you guys. Um, but that just happens to be because of the title that I fulfilled and the job Mm -hmm. that I fulfilled. The, the guys who really get the credit for building the job are all the other people that were on our team, mm. right? So between our operations director and all the superintendents, you know, they ran those subcontractors meetings. They're, right. the, they're the guys that really built the job. Um, I was just a communicator. So mm-hmm. they're really the guys that get all the credit. It's all their blood, sweat, and tears that got poured into the project. Is but why being coordinator in chief shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, a lot of times that is mm. the, the most successful project managers out there are the ones that create a system and organize and keep that system fine-tuned 
and sometimes just run interference and get obstacles out of the way. I mean, sometimes that's the most important job a project manager can do is not the planning and it's, it is simply keeping all the plates spinning and just making sure everybody, all the obstacles are out of the way. You're, you're exactly right. And, and having a good team that supports you in that role makes your job a whole lot easier. One of the questions I want to ask you, Chris, um, when I, again, when I kind of think back to the public scrutiny that um, was just revolving around this project, how did you guys handle that? Because here you are trying to get your job done. And I just imagine some of the projects that I've led in the past. What have I had uh, sound bites on the radio news or, you know, the, on television and print forming different opinions on the project that I've got to lead successfully? Mm-hmm. How did you guys as a team, how did y'all manage that scrutiny and that pressure? And probably a gaggle of reporters trying to right, get right. a sneak peek. Chris, Chris, just give me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the, que- the, the answer to the question was easy if we were ever, if I personally was ever approached or we were ever asked as we were under, un, under a non-disclosure agreement. So that's the, that's the, that's the give all catch thing. So talk to my attorney. Yeah. We've signed, <laughs> we've signed a non-disclosure agreement yeah. with the Braves. You need to go directly to uh, mm. Mike Plant. You need to go to the Braves, Beth Marshall, Good. the director of public relations. You need to go talk to those people to get mm-hmm. answers to those questions. I'm not at liberty to say. And Mike was out in the community a lot during, uh, during right. those months when the project was being developed. So he was sure. very accessible. Yeah. Yeah. But then practically, how did you guys handle that pressure? Yeah. So, um, uh, again, a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I re- remember watching a football game on a Saturday afternoon and, and Mike Plant called me uh, yeah. on a Saturday afternoon. I was watching football. And I stepped out and looked at my wife and I was like, mm-hmm. Mike's calling me. <laughs> what's wrong? What's, what's going <laughs> and, um, on? Stepped out and answered the phone, um, you know, because there was a lot of interest in the project. There was a lot mm-hmm. of, um, I don't really know the right way to put this because i you know, we, we just wanted to build the job. Right. right? Um, but th- there was a lot of things that happened with the city of Atlanta and then moving to Cobb, um, the reporters, sure. you know, open records requests and dealing with those kinds of things. And anytime anything like that, well, I just pick up the phone and call Mike and say, hey, how do you guys want us to handle this? Nice. You know what? It's beautiful to be buffered from that, because going back to what we talked about earlier, um, somebody removing obstacles. That's a that's another thing is that uh, good managers remove distractions as well. And so if somebody can keep you focused on the mission. Mm-hmm. And they can take care of some of these other things. You know, that's that certainly helps. Yeah, even that is that resonates with so many of the projects that I ran in the past. And even the role that you're playing as communicator, uh, that was huge. If I knew that I could focus on my job and somebody else was going to manage those high level meetings, the high stakes meetings, and uh, then somebody else would handle the any public scrutiny then, man, I just was freed up to do my job. So that's that's powerful. That's, you guys put, put team and roles together in a very strategic way. So I've got a, another question for you, Chris, as I'm thinking about this. You have an enormous project, a uh, lot of people interested in the status. Now, the beauty is you can see a lot of the status as you drive right. by. So you can watch <laughs> the stadium, uh, you know, literally, quite literally being uh, constructed. But how do you track and report status? What are the things that you cared about as this project was progressing? Well, one was making sure that you stayed on schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this goes back to me being a young project manager and and running the Georgia Aquarium. And Mr. Gorey showed up out on site and he said, um, well, are you going to finish on time? 
And I said, absolutely. He said, you know, there's 24 hours in the day. And I said, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> um, so that's probably the biggest thing was making sure that we were going to make schedule. Um, any kind of sports entertainment project, they're all event-driven schedules. And the Braves were going to play baseball at SunTrust Park in 2014. It was going to happen. Um, so to, to go back to your question, um, that was the first thing that you had in your mind. It was, you were being driven by the schedule to make sure that you were going to be able to make the dates. Right. You have a big miracle occurs here date on the schedule. (laughs) No question. (laughs) And and then, you know, construction is not an exact science. You're going to have issues that Mm -hmm. pop up on the job. And we had one that, that was a, a big concern in the project. And, and I mean, we, it kind of threw us in a little bit of a tailspin. It's like, all right, we got we got to figure out a way to recover from this, mm. and uh, and we pulled together as a team, communicated with Mike Plant what was going on, and uh, we came up with a plan to be able to overcome it. Um, Did anything go smoother than anticipated from the construction <laughs> side? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't anticipate that question. Um, uh, yeah, there there were times where things were just um, were going great. You know, during the excavation process, getting the the uh, the shoring wall in place. Uh, we're working through the pre-construction. You know, you always have challenges with things being over budget, and you go through your value mm-hmm. engineering, value analysis process to save money. Um, there were a lot of things that, that go good. The things that always tend to stick in your mind were the, are the, are the challenges. No question. Right. But one yeah. thing, you had a long stretch with good weather. So that was one risk event taken off the off the table. We did. And if it wasn't for the good weather, uh, you know, I mentioned the, the, the big challenge that hit us. What it was is we had we had bad soil, right? We knew uh-huh. we knew we had massive amounts of rock that we had to blast. Mm-hmm. And we actually crushed it, used it on site. Um, but we had massive amounts of rock that we had to deal with. Well, we had that accounted for. We knew that we had... Uh, uh, where the home plate is, that that was on spread footings. And then on the outfield, you know, you had caissons that went down 93 feet. So we, we wow. knew we had those kinds of things from a, from a soil standpoint. What we didn't realize was that the geotechnical engineer during the process was going to start to evaluate the soil in and around where that pipeline was. And there was a pond. If you remember, there was a pond there that we, we ended up getting rid of. And the soil down deep was terrible. Uh, so the remediation process that the geotechnical engineer mandated on us, we had to surcharge the site for 60 days. So there was 60 days, 60 calendar days in the middle of your construction schedule that you had to account for and now overcome in order to make sure that the Braves were making that opening wow. pitch. Oh. You know, you referenced the Georgia Aquarium earlier, but I recall when that site was selected, um, they discovered such a nexus of utilities that mm. hit right underneath that that had to be relocated. Yep. And uh, some of that had been accounted for, some mm. of it was a complete surprise, which you'd think mm. it would all be mapped out, but it yeah. uh, doesn't always work that way. So sometimes mm. it's the unknown unknowns that get us. Hmm. It seems like in a situation like this that you sort of have a ready-made built-in excuse for uh, delaying the project or, or, or going over budget. You, you can always point the finger at something, uh, but but you, you, when you've got a deadline, a firm deadline, you, you can't really point fingers. You, you've got to just overcome it. How do you go about that? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so obviously when that when that mandate came down that we had to surcharge the site, um, we obviously notified everybody what was going on. And then we went into um, a kind of a plan of attack. So, okay, how, how do we get beyond this? Because it, it simply was, was not acceptable. And sure, you can lay down, throw your hand up and say, you know what, we this is our excuse. This is our get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. But in reality, that's not, that's not what you do, especially with the relationships that we've developed with these mm-hmm. guys. Um, so you come up with a plan. We rescheduled the entire job. We resequenced the entire job, wow. and we figured out a way to get things in place and still be able to make the opening uh, uh, make make the opening date. Mm. Yep. 
that's that's the way to do it. Chris, a follow-up question. You mentioned um, some of these, like your kind of your regular rhythm of meetings and uh, maybe the, at the executive level with Mike Plant specifically, you had, um, uh, you had the ability to make decisions up to a point and then you knew, okay, now I need to go to Mike on this one. I need his approval or I need him to run this by the executive team to, to figure out what we do with this. How did you guys, um, up front at the beginning of the project, how did you guys kind of define that level of change request and authorization so you knew your rules of engagement with them? Well, they had, uh, Mike had uh, JLL as a program manager that mm-hmm. worked for him. So most of the stuff was all filtered through JLL. Okay. So my communication was primarily with Mike Hall with mm-hmm. JLL throughout the construction process. It was only when you got to the bigger decisions, and that was kind of a a decision that we would make together saying this one really needs to be elevated to Mike Plant right. to get him to make the call on it. Yep. Um, so I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that there was this, this laid out plan that, you know, if a change order exceeded a certain dollar amount, or if there was some, some sort of schedule implication uh, deadline that it exceeded, you know, 10 days or whatever, from a delay standpoint, it needs to go to Mike Plant. I think it's, it's just the constant communication back mm. and forth between us, the program manager, and then saying, yeah, th- these are, these are the decisions that Mike needs to make. Mm. And, and you had four entities, again, that were making up uh, American Builders 2017. So how did you guys – did everybody play fairly? Oh, yes, okay. yes. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we had it. We had it. And this was the first joint venture that I'd ever been involved with. How about that? Um, yeah. uh, so I'd, I'd never been – so I really didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. But when we got our team assembled – you know, you're a team, right? right. So you, you, those, you, you establish those deep relationships, you, you come to count on each other and, and, and that's how you, you operate. So yeah, we, we, I thought it was pretty amazing just how well the mm. team clicked, especially coming from the different cultures. Right. So everybody played fair. And then we had quarterly meetings where all the principals from each one of the companies would come together, would give them a, a general update on what the status of the, is of the project. Um, and, and they would take that information back. They would offer feedback. You know, Rob Taylor, my boss, uh, was down there almost once a week, mm. uh, just continuously, um, reviewing the job, uh, challenging us to look at things different, um, encouraging us when he came down there. Um, and, and that kind of leadership, I mean, I, I'd just be honest with you without having him there from that leadership standpoint, I don't think we would have been as successful as we were. Mm. That's great. You mentioned some of the, uh, natural, uh, hindrances, some of the surprises that came up. I, I'm, I'm wondering about man-made hindrances, man-made surprises where, uh, where you know, maybe somebody comes to you, uh, hey, I got a better idea. Or, or uh, you, know, you know, if we do this differently, we could do this. Uh, were there any of those man-made surprises in this process? Um, I, I don't know that I, man-made is an interesting term, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but I will tell you that as the as the because the design t- time frame was so condensed, mm. there was a continuous process of designing throughout the construction of the job. Mm. So as populace continued to uh, uh, put develop the drawings, you know what what the club spaces look like. The Braves would have input, and so they would they would. Um, they would make uh, changes to the job that were mm-hmm. constantly being implemented. So yes, there were, and and you know, you monitor those like you do anything else. You you, you get what you want because you want to make sure that the client's happy at the end of the day, right, right? That, that right. he's got what he wanted. But at some point in time, you can't let that be the deciding factor, the determining factor that may delay the project. So again, it comes to communication. Yeah. So so let's pick up on that idea. You said you want the client to be happy. 
at the end, you're kind of chasing the elusive butterfly of happiness uh, <laughs> toward the finish line here. And as you're going through that, I'm curious. Um, so eventually you get to take the victory lap and high five everybody around the park. But up until that point, um, you had to have some some high points. You had to have some low points. How would you what would you characterize as maybe your your lowest or most difficult point in this project? The lowest point, um, you know, I guess time heals all wounds. So, yes. so now that we're so far removed from the project, those tend to be diminished and you tend to remember all the good stuff. Mm. Um, but, uh, I would say the most challenging part of the job is when we, we rescheduled the project, right? We talked about the surcharge of the soil right. and that challenged our schedule. So now we were, we were having to make sure that we were staying on top with this revised plan that we mm. put together kind of on the fly during construction. Um, well, what that did is there were times where we had our crews working, um, in double shifts. Uh, they were working Saturdays. They were working Sundays. Um, and that's the field. That's the trade labor, right? So they were grinding it out and then the superintendents would rotate what would happen on a weekend. Um, so I would say the lowest points was probably the amount of hours that it, it demanded. Mm-hmm. Um, a job of this magnitude with this schedule, these types of deadlines, uh, can be very taxing and, mm-hmm. uh, very stressful and very exhausting. And at times you're going to have to give something up to sacrifice that time. So I would use Saturday as kind of like a catch up day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only work so much, so many Saturdays, you know, on top of your 12 to 14 hour days that you have during the week and keep your sanity. Right. Uh, so something gives, I mean, it, it puts stress on your family, it puts stress on your health mm-hmm. and those types of things. So I would say that the, the lowest points were probably when we were, we were in the, the, just the the drive of, of getting the job done. And it mm-hmm. was just demanding a, a tremendous amount of hours from, from everyone on our team. You know, we, it, that's the theme that we fit with project managers. Certainly everyone in this room can relate to it. And I remember uh, we had a conversation with Dave Gibson. He sat in that chair, Chris, and, and uh, he was working on a project for the military and managing that program. And there was such urgency to come up with a solution and get it out in the field. And uh, they were really burning it. And it, it, it was, uh, and I'm sure your team felt this. At least you could see the end in sight. And mm-hmm. you knew opening day. You knew who they would probably have on the mound throwing out that first pitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, you wanted <laughs> to make sure that there was a mound there. So it kept everybody motivated. And, and, and one of the things that we love about projects is there is a beginning and an end. So you guys could see that and push on through it. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic about um, about construction is, you know, the job will always eventually get done. Right. right? And, uh, you know, you talked about the first pitch and there is a there is a best moment, too. Right. OK. Um, you know, through all the meetings uh, and we had the county, the county was there almost every week meeting mm. with us and walking the job and the fire marshal was doing inspections. So when we got our CO, right, that the day we got the final nod with the fire marshal come walking through the tunnel, doing the last inspection of an area that he'd walked through hundreds of times, hundreds of times, came through and gave us the thumbs up and made the phone call to Jay Westbrook and said, it's OK to issue the CO. And I went around the corner and my boss, Rob, was standing up there and I gave him the thumbs up. And there was just like this feeling of euphoria. So the Braves had already moved in at that point in time. They were already in their office component of the job site that they'd moved into in December. So we took the CO up to Mike Plant. We had a celebratory drink. Wow. And it was just <laughs> That's awesome. outstanding. That's it's huge. a good moment to get there and all the activity. I have, a, I have a, another question for you, Chris. Um, you know, it, you learn things along the way. And... After having done this project, now suppose you're transported back in time and handed this project again. What lessons did you learn? And specifically, what would, what would you do differently 
uh, if you had this to do over again. So lessons learned. Um, two things that come to mind. Uh, one, I think what we, well, one thing that we did do and that, that helped us improve and all the rest of our partners improve as a company is when we put together our safety program mm. and our safety plan for the job, we took kind of the best from each one of the companies and assembled a, a job-specific safety program. Yeah, that's that, a, that was that was because awesome. again, you had four organizations, you had people with very different uh, perspectives and and processes. So that's exactly. that's great. Exactly. Yeah. So so that 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 worked very well. The, the other thing that I would do different is I would celebrate our wins and our victories mm. a lot more along the way. I mean, we had we had our you know top and out parties, and you know we adopted a charity along the way that that, that we gave money to, that we raised money you know as a as a as a job team. Which one was um, that? Uh, Kids Chance. Okay. Uh, Kids mm. Chance, and it's a it's a charity that um, that raises money and gives money to um, kids for scholarships, etc. Mm. That have had a parent that's had a, a life-changing injury, job site injury, or a death. And so it gives them scholarships to go to, to go to school. And uh, <laughs> Courtney Turner, I remember having her out on the job site for a luncheon, um, and you got hundreds of construction workers, the biggest, baddest guys that you've ever seen on the face of the earth, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a dry eye in the wow. audience when she shared her story. So mm-hmm. uh, pretty impactful. But um, so we did things like that, you know, um, but – when you're when you're going that hard that fast on a project like that, um, you tend to to kind of blow by you know the victories. Like you know we got our first CO for Mike and and the Braves to be able to move into the office building, you know, and then there was a next deadline was coming up, and then the next deadline, and then you had to have the ballpark turned over, and then the battery stuff was getting turned over. So, so I think it's important to to stop and slow down just a little bit and celebrate the victories and celebrate mm-hmm. the wins and pat the people on the back. And uh, I think we probably could have done a better job of that. The milestones and not just the finish line. Not just the finish line. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that is a, a worthy cause, and, and you put a lot of energy into it, a lot of uh, funds into that. How can folks get in touch with Kids Chance if they're interested in learning more about that organization? Yes, absolutely. So um, the, probably the best way to get in touch with them is going to the website, uh, kidschance.org. Uh, and just reaching out to them. Uh, anybody can partner with them. Uh, right. It was just something that we felt we wanted to do. And um, and when you you deal with when you deal with um, people that are injured and hurt on job sites or people that are you know heaven forbid killed, mm-hmm. um, you know it's just a way for us to give back to the community. And I would think that other contractors in the area, right. um, uh, construction companies, would be interested in also partnering with them. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal organization. Well, we we are so thankful that Brassfield and Gorey. Uh, wants to give back to the community. And and we so thank you for being a part of Manage This today. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, before you go, we've got a present for you. Uh, This Manage This coffee mug. We wish we could put the Atlanta Braves logo on the back, Uh, you know, but but, uh, they haven't allowed us to do that. But the Manage This logo is a great one, and I hope you will uh, use it and remember us fondly. Well, thank you very much. Um, I love coffee, so I'll, it'll go to good use. <laughs> and Andy and Bill, as always, thank you for your guidance, your leadership. We appreciate it. We here at Matt Is This hope these podcasts reach you where you live. And we know that a lot of us are living in that zone of wanting to keep current with our education and recertifications. So we're making it easy for you to earn PDUs, professional development units, just for listening to this podcast. To claim them, go to Velociteach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. 
That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on December 5th for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at velocityteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We're here to serve you, to educate you, and to help you in any way we can. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.